Welcome to the Off the Beaten Career Path podcast. I'm your host, Katie Myers. Here you will find the inspiration, strategies, and tactics needed to reach the next level and beyond in your small business and career. Thanks for joining us and get ready to put these ideas to work for you. Welcome back to Off the Beaten Career Path podcast. I'm your host, Katie Myers, and we are joined by a very special guest today. Her name is Michelle Steiner. Michelle lives with an invisible disability. She has dyscalculia, a math learning disability, limited hand dexterity, and visual perception issues. Her disability has made things such as math and driving impossible. Diagnosed as a young child in kindergarten, Living with disabilities has become a way of life, and she's had to learn different ways to learn and to live. She has had articles published on The Mighty, Nonverbal Learning Project, Dyscalcula Blog, The Reluctant Spoonie, Calopina Collective, Imagine the World as One Magazine, and Word Gathering. Her photographs were featured in Word Gathering and Independent and Work Ready. She works as a paraeducator in a school with students with disabilities. She lives in Pennsylvania with her husband and two cats. Welcome, Michelle. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Katie. I want to start off by, can you describe more about your disabilities, how you were diagnosed, and how that's affected your ability to, to do everything? Sure. I was diagnosed with having a learning disability whenever I was in kindergarten. Back whenever I went to school, it wasn't, they gave specific names for learning disabilities other than maybe just dyslexia. It was more, they just gave you an umbrella term when you had a learning disability. My learning disability affects how I do math. That's always the big part of that. I, I'm not, I struggle with how numbers work. It's really difficult for me to understand math concepts, but that difficulty with math goes outside of the classroom. With having dyscalculia, I confuse my right from my left. I'm not unable to I'm not able to understand directional concepts such as east, south, or west. And it can also just affect a lot of my everyday life. It can be hard for me to budget or how much I'm supposed to leave for a tip. Those are really difficult things for me. The visual perception is in my brain, not in my eyes. So that affects more of my eye-hand coordination. When I was little, it was really hard for me to bounce a ball or catch it. And anytime anything came in my field of vision, I would flinch. So gym class was not a lot of fun all those years. And it affected me not being able to drive. And the hand dexterity was not discovered until I was an adult. Whenever I was really young, we wondered why it was hard for me with handwriting and things would fall out of my hands. And we just chalked it up to, okay, she has a learning disability. That's just part of that. But whenever I got that diagnosis as an adult, that all of a sudden just made me think, oh, that's why I struggle with a lot of those issues. And I was diagnosed as a young child in kindergarten. My teacher saw that I was struggling with math and visual perception. And she recommended that I get tested for having a learning disability. And sure enough, that's definitely what I had. I worked for a number of years with the disabled population. And I know that there's so many people that do not get the support or diagnosis early on. And I imagine that was a few years ago. So that's really great that you had such a wonderful teacher. I've never heard of the dyscalculia until I came into contact with you. Is that similar to like how dyslexia works for reading? 
actually with her having dyscalculia or dyscalculia, it is mainly, I don't, I don't read letters or numbers backwards. I just, for some reason, I'm not able to figure out how they work. My brain just isn't wired to know how a numbers work. I might get missed up the steps in a, a math problem. I not able to tell time on an analog clock. I can see the numbers, I can see the, the lines, but it doesn't matter very much. I can also, I struggle with a ruler or a cylinder if you have the, the, the little lines on there. And just for some reason, my brain just is not able to understand math. I think my dad said it best. He goes, I don't think it's not that you can't learn math. I think it's just no one's found a way to teach you yet. I love that. What a great supportive dad he sounds like. Yep, definitely. So with with being diagnosed very young, and it sounds like you had wonderful supportive people in your corner, mm -hmm. as a child and teenager growing up, what did you think that your career opportunities would be like? Well, I can remember that I knew that I wanted to go to college. When I was little, I... I feared that a lot, or I didn't think I wanted to go to college because I didn't think I was smart enough to do it. But then as I grew up, I thought, oh, I do want to go to college and I want to work with students or do something with writing because writing's always been a passion of mine. But I was also afraid because I was doing well at that time with having accommodations and I was really afraid of what would lie ahead in the future for me. And I wasn't alone in that. I had a teacher that told me she didn't think I could do college because of my learning disability. And she recommended vocational training school. And there's nothing wrong with that, but nothing in there interested me. And I decided I wasn't going to go ahead and do that. Still didn't really have a crystallized plan of what exactly was going to happen. But I met with OVR, uh, Office for Vocational Rehabilitation, and they suggested going to a community college uh, because I didn't take SATs and they said a lot of times a university looks at how well you have done at, at a community college. And I also had a student teacher who did believe in me. She told me you can go to college because you know how to study and you're a hard worker. And just hearing those words was so inspiring to me. I can still remember whenever I was at college and things were really difficult. Those are the words that I would hear her say in my, in my head. I was able to graduate, and uh, right before I began to receive services with OVR, I had to be retested for a learning disability again. And the psychiatrist said that I, it I would most likely not go beyond a community college. And hearing those words was so heartbreaking. And then when I got to college, I had a professor that told me I'd have limited job choices. And I'm already afraid, and it was... The very beginning of school for me with my post-secondary life and i also had people that told me that getting accommodations were unfair so i didn't utilize those services and that was a big mistake because my grades plummeted and i just was not doing very well and when i finally had a professor that said why don't we give you extended test time i was really struggling in her class when I got that help, I was able to pass her class and I graduated with my associate's degree in early childhood education. I was able to move out on my own and I, I, I was employed with a lot of temporary jobs. I subbed in a lot of places, but I always wanted more for myself. 
And for financial reasons, I had to move back in with my parents. And during that time, my job downsized. And I thought, this is the time to go back and go to university. And I found a program that interested me and had the least amount of math and science possible. And I used the disability accommodations and I did much better this time around. I made Dean's List for a semester and I was able to graduate with a bachelor's degree in community programming for Americans with disabilities. Wow, that's so incredible, Michelle. So I heard you talk about how you use accommodations to get through your education. How did you know to find those resources and what were those resources able to do to make uh, your dream of a college degree possible? I found a lot of the resources, number one, through Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. That was offered by was, I believe, a junior in high school. And I had a rep that came to talk to me at school and told me about that. They're, they are also in every uh, major town in uh, the United States. It's a, it's a federally funded program. It's definitely something to consider if you have a student or uh, an adult that has a disability or you think that you might have one to give them a call because uh, what they'll do is they'll pay for your testing. And if you qualify, they can also uh, fund you to go back to school. And they do stuff with job placement. I didn't have as much success with them with job placement. That was one of the resources. And I also researched uh, what was being offered at different schools. Uh, Every place that receives uh, federal funding has to provide disability accommodations. Now, the thing is, every school that does this, it's going to look a little bit different. Some places might just have your basic extended test time and maybe some other sources, uh, tutoring, for example. But other places, they might have those services along with having a note taker, specialized classes, mentoring. There's just a lot of different accommodations. And it's really important when you have a disability and you're seeking out college to look at the services that each school has and to see if that meets your needs. Absolutely. So I spent about seven years of my previous working life working with people with cognitive disabilities. And what I have seen during my experience in that industry is there was a lot of great family members and workers and and people that cared about these people with disabilities that were wonderful advocates. But what I didn't see was as many people with the disabilities that were empowered to advocate for themselves. So what made you feel that you could advocate for yourself and give you the confidence to do such a wonderful job? I think what gave me a lot of confidence was I had a supportive family. My parents advocated for me from the time I was a young child. And I I can remember my mom would explain my disability. And I remember thinking, wow, she does a really good job at it. And eventually I had to learn how to do a really good job of advocating for myself and how to speak up and how to be able to have those resources available. And a lot of times what I've found, it, it, it gets better with practice. It's never easy to go in and ask for an accommodation at my job uh, or uh, any place, but it gets a lot better. Every single time that I get to do it, I get better at how I can state what I have and the, the accommodations that I'll need and be able to put that in positive terms, emphasizing what I can do, and just trying to do that in a polite, respectful manner. 
That's great advice. So you do a lot of different things from your work as a paraeducator to photography to writing and speaking and and talking about advocacy on podcasts. Can you tell me more about your whole, you know, professional career things you got going on right now and and how you're managing all that? Sure. (laughs) I am working as a paraeducator in a school. This year I'm working with sixth graders that have disabilities. Oh, God bless you. All sixth graders (laughs) are tough. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So far, so good, but it is the first week. So we'll see (laughs) how it gets. But I help them with reinforcing the concepts that the teacher is uh, trying to get across. I also help break down the work for them. I help with uh, things such as running copies or, or running students to where they need to go and just whatever the teacher or the student needs in the room to uh, just work in the interest of helping out some students that might just be struggling otherwise. Uh, that's my job when, I, when I'm when i at work. I also go and I have my own blog called Michelle's Mission where I write about having a learning disability and I get to feature my photography and I get that chance to also write blog articles on life with a learning disability. And the goals of Michelle's mission are to encourage, empower, and educate people with and without disabilities. And I also started working on a, another uh, part-time job as uh, with All Abilities Media. And I work as doing marketing and social media with them as well. And what I want to do with my photography, my writing, and what I do at All Abilities Media and at school is to be able to work with people who have disabilities and to educate and to be able to empower and just have that connection with other people. I absolutely love that. What a great mission. What what resources have you found out there? Is there a lot of people out there that are doing this kind of advocacy work and supporting people to to learn how to advocate for themselves with disabilities? There are a lot of uh, more that more people that are out there advocating than whenever I was like 20 years ago. There's a lot more people that are speaking up, speaking about having a, a disability. There are also a lot more businesses that are coming up and they're being run either by families of an individual with a disability or the person with a disability themselves to, so they can have a voice on what they want. And it's it's just such a different culture than what I grew up in. Whenever I was a lot younger, you really didn't want to speak about having a disability. People didn't really talk about stuff like that. And it was almost like having a disability was a dirty word. Nobody wanted to to say that. And I can remember I had a friend that told me, you should write about having a learning disability. I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to write about that. And when I finally had that courage to do that, that just healed a lot of wounds in my life and just encouraged me to uh, want to write more. And I just see that that is coming up, that a lot of people are being represented with disabilities that are in other aspects of life than it was uh, years ago. Wow. So I'm a small business owner. A lot of our listeners are either either small business owners or have corporate careers. What is your advice to people either in the corporate world or small business on how we can advocate for people with disabilities to become a valuable part of our workforce? I think a big part of that is definitely reaching out to agencies that work with people with disabilities, 
career opportunities where they have people with disabilities that want to work and have jobs. I think that's a big part is that outreach. But I also think that it's important when we do have a person with a disability that comes in that we look at what the person can do rather than what they can't. And we work with them and to be able to listen to them. That is one thing I love about all my employers. I can tell them that I have a disability and they work with me and they understand what a learning disability is. And I think that's just so important that we meet them when they come in with, okay, what's the way that we can help you be able to do your job and to look at that person as an asset rather than a liability. Wow. I absolutely love that. I, I love how you speak about it. You've done such a wonderful job, you know, just showing what, what you've been able to do. So now as for the kiddos that you work with as a paraeducator, are a lot of them planning to go to college and how are you encouraging them to follow their dreams? As far as students that are going to college, some do and some I have a lot that maybe you're at this age have a lot of doubt So I try to encourage a lot of them to keep their options open on what they want to do. If they want to go to college, that's wonderful. And I'm able to point out a lot of resources that they can do. If they want to go to trade school, I'm also able to point out some resources. I think sometimes when I show students how to advocate, I'm not only giving them skills that they're going to need to get through the next grade. This is going to be something that they're going to have to carry with them at any educational program or a job or any other place in the community, because for many of them, their disability isn't going to go away. They're going to need to know how to deal with it. Absolutely. So you've been very positive, Michelle, and I absolutely love that about you. But what are you comfortable sharing some of the negative experiences you've had as you've tried to grow in your education and career and what we can learn from those experiences? I think some of the negative experiences were a lot of times people really tried to limit me by what they thought I could do. And rather than encouraging me to look at what some of the the challenges I was going to face, I knew what those were going to be or, or a great deal of them. But I think sometimes they didn't give me the resources on how we could address them. It was more just I couldn't do it. And I think definitely showing, being honest that you will have challenges and this is how we can address those and how we can make life easier. I think that's a big thing. I also wish that a lot of times there wasn't so much emphasis on assessments. I'm a terrible test taker. So a lot of times people will look at my assessments and and will write me off thinking, oh, she can't do it. When I am able to do certain things, you're, you're testing me on what, you think I know, but uh, you don't. You don't know everything that I that I do have knowledge over. So, I think taking sometimes the testing with a grain of salt and just trying to uh, see what the person can do because every person has strengths and has weaknesses, and it's emphasizing the strengths that the person has. That is great advice. I absolutely love that. And can you share? You know, is there one in particular? experience you had early on in your working life with a with a manager or coworker where they really helped set you up for success that that you want to see other people emulate? Yes, definitely. I think it's whenever I began working for the school. I started to really have some wonderful people 
that I was open and honest about having a disability. And they were like, all right, that's fine. And we worked around everything. And I think that's the main thing is to make it really successful, we have to try to figure out, okay, what is that person good at? I may not be able to do math. And generally I do my disclaimer at the beginning of the school year. Do not ask me to help you with math. (laughs) Thankfully they have not put me in a math class this year, but I, Sometimes if there's a study hall and they have math, I'll, I'll tell the kids, you can't, I can't help you with math, but I'm able to do reading and a lot of other things with them. So I think when you put me in classes that don't involve math I, or um, other things, I'm able to really shine. I'm able to bring out the strengths that I do have. And I think that's important, finding what the person is good at, putting them in that position and working with that. Well, that is great advice. And your story is so incredibly inspiring to me. And I'm so glad that you were willing to share with us today. So what is next for you, Michelle? What are your career aspirations going forward? I definitely want to keep on connecting with people that have disabilities with my blog, Michelle's Mission. I've also started a forum on my blog and places where people can do the They can also buy my artwork with the store. So I definitely want to expand on that. I'd love to do more writing and more photography. And I would also think I'd like to do a children's book about math learning disabilities because there's not a lot of information on those. There's really not. I've never, and which is embarrassing, I'm almost 40 years old, but I have never heard someone talk about math learning disabilities. That, that's just not something I've ever even heard mentioned in, in all of my years. Why do you think that is that people don't bring that up? Yeah, I think it's it's a stigma that surrounds it. The same statistics, one in five people have a math learning disability, the same as somebody might have dyslexia or other types of reading disabilities. I think people have this in their head. A learning disability must either mean you can't do something or you must not be able to read. I've had people that didn't think I could read very well. And I think it's just talking about that helps to break that stigma, helps to bring that awareness that there are disabilities with math. A lot, I mean, along with reading, of course, but math is definitely, there are disabilities with that. Wow. Very interesting. Thank you for shedding some light on that. I'm sure we have some listeners out there that that can identify and have struggled with a mass disability themselves. Another thing that you've talked about in on your blog that I've seen is that you do not drive due to your disability. So how has that affected your your options in your career and getting your education with having that limitation? Well, it had, there have been jobs I've had to turn down. There's also been some educational opportunities that I just simply couldn't get to. I was really lucky, though, in my area to have a community college that was local that my parents could take me. And I was very lucky to have a university that was close by that I could go to school that had a program that I was interested in. And I was able to commute back and forth. It was also a blessing. My cousin worked on campus during the time. So I was able to get a ride from her and my family. That was definitely with with the educational ones, very lucky with that. Career-wise, sometimes there was just jobs I couldn't go to because it was too far away. And I just couldn't expect my family or friends to be able to take me places like that. And we have a very limited transportation system where I live at as well. It's a very rural area, a very small town. 
I'm lucky to live in a central location where I can walk to a lot of places. I can, and a lot of employers weren't okay with that too. If I brought it up, I can remember I was at a job interview. I was willing to relocate and I told the person that I'd be taking a bus in. This is when I did paratransit, the transportation for people with disabilities. And the woman looked at me and said, oh, well, we're not on a bus run. What are you going to do if the bus is late? How are we supposed to handle it? And then she looked at my resume and said, oh, and here, it says here you work with students that have disabilities. You have experience with that. I said, yes. She goes, do you enjoy it? I said, yes. And she said, oh, we don't have any students with disabilities in our school. And I knew that wasn't the job for me. And sometimes that's, and employers will also put that on there, must have a driver's license, even if you're not going to be driving a vehicle, which definitely if you have driving duties, then you really should have a license, but, or if it involves travel, but some of these places you were showing up at the same site every day and they wouldn't, they didn't want to have somebody who had that. So that impacted me. And my job now, I'm really lucky. I have my husband takes me to work in the morning and I have a wonderful coworker that takes me home every day. And if she can't make it for some reason, I live close enough that I can walk back and forth or have other people pick me up. That's incredible. You make a really good point where you mentioned that some job descriptions say that they want a license on there, even if it isn't required to the job. So what other barriers are we as employers and and business owners putting into our our job, you know, listings out there that are looking like a barrier to people with disabilities that might be a really good employee if given the chance? I think that's something that's on every entrepreneur's mind because it is hard to find employees and we do anything for a good employee. So I don't want to be putting out ads that are putting a barrier up. Right. I th- the driver's license is definitely one thing uh, that can be a barrier. And sometimes having a degree, and this varies for different places too. I mean, some uh, obviously having a high school diploma or a GED is something that should be there. But a lot of times there might be people that don't have a college degree and maybe they do have a disability, but maybe college just wasn't their thing or it may not have been possible. And I think sometimes that places a barrier. And there are some jobs definitely that do require that, but I think sometimes that can be a barrier as well. Yeah, absolutely. So what what can someone do who owns a business to be like a disability-friendly employer and business? Some other tips and tricks you have. I think the biggest thing is just when you have an employee with a disability to be open and to be honest with them and also just to uh, be be disability friendly, asking what can we do to help uh, accommodate you and to look for solutions when a person comes on there to their job. That is great advice. Well, thank you so much for your time here today, Michelle. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners about where they can find you? We'll put all your links in the show notes, but is there anything else you'd like to share? Sure. If you want to find me at michellesmission.net, that's great. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Off the Beaten Career Path podcast is a Lit Path Studios production and is produced by Jamie Gale and Katie Myers. Music is by Sasha Gray and Pond5. 
If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and share it to your social media. Remember, your career path is up to you to create. Keep exploring, keep pushing boundaries, and keep blazing your own trail.